Hello, uh, my name is Peter Sohn, the director of Elemental, and this is our commentary for the film. My name is Sanjay Bakshi. I was the VFX supervisor on Elemental. And uh, I'm Mike Venturini. I was the supervising animator. And I'm Gwendolyn Enderolu. I'm one of the directing animators on Elemental. Yeah, thanks for coming in, you guys. This project started for me, as we're recording now, seven years ago, from an idea that I had sketched out of a fire and water couple. The question that came out of there is like, what, what, what happened if fire fell in love with water? Another ingredient would be my parents they were immigrants from uh, Korea, and they had come to the United States in the late uh, 60s, early 70s. And uh, a lot of this journey has been thanking our parents for the sacrifices that they've made. And this opening of the movie, it took many forms, but it was always wanting to show a journey from one place to another. And that idea of a hopeful arrival to a new world. So it was something that from the beginning was always there throughout the years. Uh, it took different forms, but the heart of this story would become this relationship with this new world and the, and the child who's growing up in it. The other ingredient, obviously, is that they're elements. The diversity of that, there would be fire, water, earth, and air. And uh, this whole opening would be trying to showcase uh, each one of those cultures and sort of the rules of the world. Every shot in this film essentially had effects in it, which really was one of the scary things. I love these shots here at the beginning where we're jumping between all the different elements. The animators kind of had a challenge of figuring out an individual way for each element to move. So you're feeling the weight of the trees as they come down the, the, from the boat, and then the way the water characters can kind of change shape and reform. This is yours. Oh, thanks. The lightness of the air characters here. When you guys first heard of the idea, where, what were your guys' thoughts? What was exciting about this film was that it, it felt like, for the first time in a while, we were attempting to make a movie that we didn't know if we could actually make it, because our artistic goals were way out ahead of what the technology was that we were capable of at the time. So it was kind of like a good faith, like we're gonna figure this out as we go. We've got a story we wanna tell and the stuff that you were doing in art was super exciting. But the anxiety was we didn't actually know that we could do it. I have been here at Pixar for a while, but not from the early days. And I always regretted that I didn't get to work on the first Toy Story or the first Monsters where they really had to figure some stuff out that they had never done before. And I feel like this is, was our chance to have that experience of just diving in and figuring it out as we go along. And so this moment here where Bernie and Cinder walk through this air character was a really important story moment to just showcase a little crack in sort of this culture of, of Element City, meaning it's a hopeful, beautiful place. There's a lot of diversity going on and, and mixing. But for this fire couple, that there was a little bit of xenophobia. And this comes from, you know, personal experiences growing up uh, on the East Coast in New York, this idea of what it means to belong, what it means to be a foreigner. And that, that sort of idea really merged well with fire characters for me, meaning that there's a perception of fire being dangerous and, and hot, uh, or, or that they would create damage. And 
So a lot of these story po points up here were to just showcase a little bit of that, uh, you know, that they didn't belong, a little of that feeling so that we could understand where Bernie's prejudice against this parts of the city would come from. Uh, and, and then hopefully that would start to set, you know, set up some of the conflict for our main character in, 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 the, in the upcoming scenes here. I grew up in a grocery store and understanding that a store uh, could be a home for baby Ember, that, you know, she's born there, she's born in this city, and that this place would be the thing that she couldn't wait to, you know, run and take over uh, because she watched it grow and become sort of the community place that it is. And then, come on, that baby sneezing shot is her cuter animated yeah. <laughs> baby scene in animation. We're yeah. continuing our legacy of adorable Pixar children. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I just hope we have the distinction of the only baby that's head blew up <laughs> to get the its fan, cuteness. The, the fan shot's really fun, too, because, like, everyone's done that as a kid, talked yeah. into a fan. So to see, like, to exploit the fire nature of the characters yeah. and how much fun that would be and kind of... Uh, wind in fire, yeah. you know, these moments I think are really fun to set up the playfulness of the world too. Yeah, that was a real lesson for me in building this story would be that concept of exploiting the elements. And what does that mean? Like if they weren't burning something or if they weren't being stretched or, or affected by wind, why do these elements just make them human characters or, or, or plastic toys? But the idea that they were these fluid, gaseous, airy, you know, watery characters, you'd want to have moments where the characters and the performances would exploit those, the, the element, you know, so that, that not only, to your point, Mike, where the fan goes in her face, it's stretching the fire, you know, and uh, um, the, how difficult that would be. It was a simple drawing, but then, you know, uh, how hard that would be to actually execute. Water. Keep an eye on them. And yeah, and so again, this is another beat to just showcase the building um, um, issues between Bernie's prejudice with some of the water folks in the shop being disrespectful to their culture. And then we begin to showcase Ember, you know, her loving childhood and, and you know, these little cracks of her temper begin to show. And this would be sort of our big red herring of setting up the audience to think that this film will be about her trying to calm her temper down, when ultimately it would be trying to understand it. Art director Lauren Kawahara made such an impact on the film, especially here in the fireplace set. She did these beautiful paintings that helped us find the look. I love this that we spend so much time in this store because one of my family's favorite things to do is to go through and watch the care and detail that go into all the little things in the back, like to rewind and watch and read all the labels on the packaging and stuff and su such fun stuff. Yeah, Art did a phenomenal job. Graphic designer Laura Meyer and her team did all the graphics in the shop. I don't know if everyone knows this, but the graphic artists also brainstorm all of the product names as well different gags of the items behind them in the store, making it feel so real. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Laura Meyer. I didn't know she really likes puns. Yeah. 
And so yeah. she kind of went to town. Um, <laughs> and there's so many opportunities here. So I think the audience, if they do care to go through it, will find a lot of really little funny play on words on the items in this shop. One thing that I, I love talking about when we were building this was just that concept of an immaculate reality. Like there were just details that you'll never get explained, but it does create an immersive place that you just feel like, oh, this exists because there was history. There must be some backstory to some of these details. Um, um, even though we'll never explain it, they're there to just make this place feel real. This was a really hard shot that was done of, of Ember repairing this glass to the counter. Nick Rosario was tasked with this thing. That trick of her eating the glass, melting it in her mouth, and then spewing it out like taffy, there was only so much that Nick could do. Animation was kind of working blind yeah. and working with something that didn't look right and yeah. then pass it off to the next department to kind of add there and then having to trust that in the end it was going to look right. There was so much collaboration. We were iterating live on some of these really challenging shots. Mm -hmm. Done. When I saw the reels, first thing scared me. You know, how are we going to be able to put effects in all these characters? How are animators going to be able to animate without seeing the effect, but know what their performance was? And I know that was challenging for you to work with the technical team to figure out that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we were a little bit in the blind in the beginning because the renders uh, weren't quite showing the potential yet. Um, and so we were just kind of iterating, trying to see what we could do just within the motion to express their elementalness, um, how, how we could carry that in animation without needing to necessarily rely on the effects uh, to solve that feeling and that look for us. Yeah, when we started animating, we didn't even have the technology built to render the shots to understand what a final image was. So we were starting to craft the performances with some speculation of what the final image might be or some, some goals in mind, but we were really testing it on the fly. Bring love to the surface, and I will read the smoke. This is the introduction to present-day Cinder, Ember's mom. Working with the writers, you know, John Hoberg and Kat Lickle, coming up with a way to exploit a fire character that was this type of mom that was, uh, you know, always on their daughter about trying to find a partner, you know, stems from my own upbringing of my mother push, putting that pressure on me. But what would be a fun way to exploit fire? And this idea of smelling love came in and uh, it was a hilarious concept that like, oh, because of fire, they emanate smoke and that she could smell on someone's smoke if they were in love or not. And that was all stemmed from this a story that Charu Clark had told us about her. She's an Indian woman who was uh, trying to marry a German guy. And uh, they had gone, met this astrologist. And uh, the story from that really inspired this idea of smoke reading and sensing love. And so th this sort of idea of uh, this love detective started to form. And I smell good. Ow, my queen. And then this is intro to our friendly neighborhood, uh, Romeo, Claude. Th his first gag was uh, an Earth character that was going through puberty and that he was beginning to grow these armpit hairs that were flowers and that he would do whatever it takes to, you know, to get Ember's attention with his, you know, burgeoning manhood, you know, and um, 
uh, he's just a, a character that I've just absolutely loved. I just wish we had more of him in the movie. I love this delivery sequence so much. It really sets up for the audience just Ember in her world, like how comfortable she is in her neighborhood, how familiar she is with the people who live there, and also just how capable she is. It, it really just gives you a great idea of who she is as a, as a character. Going into the end of this sort of delivery that uh, she's trying to race against her dad's record. I love that shot of the fireworks. Um, how tenderly this was animated uh, of coming to a shop and seeing your father who's worked all day fall asleep at the counter. This moment is one of my favorite moments in the film. This felt, it was very personal for me uh, because I saw my father do this every day after the grocery store or whatever shop that he was running, that it would be long days and sometimes he would be asleep at the, the counter, at the table at home. Um, I have, we have to give a shout out to the, the, the simulation on that sweater. Yeah. The audience would never know how difficult. Yeah, that shawl. That, that shawl, yeah. Yeah, the shawl that, that Bernie, that Ember puts on Bernie was done by Lori Kim in the simulation department. And to make it feel that tender and delicate and really convey Ember's care for Bernie took a lot of effort to get that simulation to work. And like Bernie is so weirdly shaped, you know, so mm -hmm. it makes it even more challenging when he doesn't have shoulders. I wouldn't say weird. I think he's appealing. <laughs> I just mean yeah. not humanly shaped. And yeah. To wear a shawl is not, you know, a natural thing, but she had to make it look very natural. Temper, it will show me you are able to take over. You got it, Ashfa. I won't let you down, I swear. You'll see. Hmm. Good daughter. Yes! <laughs> Blue Flame, please, let this go my way. Look, what I love, I've been here for 23 years at the studio. What I love about the Pixar films is that there is a bit of our lives in here. Uh, you can feel it in what the animator gives. You can feel it in story. And I think this is one of the trademarks of the studio is that you can really feel that personal connection to uh, the, the film. And hopefully that makes them more authentic and more humanist and more something that uh, audiences can connect to. Thanks for shopping. So many stickers for sale. And, and, and to talk about the designs, you know, something that was interesting about Bernie's design with Maria Yi and uh, the art department was trying to, like, you know, the idea of their face. Like, if they had their nose placed just a little bit lower, would they look too human? You know, and a lot of the characters you'll see, yeah, the dad is, uh, Bernie had, does have a strange sort of loaf shape to him but it's all to sort of push that they're not humans, that they're these fire creatures. And so you'll notice throughout all the designs that the nose placement is a little bit on line with the eyes as close as we can get. Uh, and that sort of unified through a lot of the characters to just push them a little further into, uh, you know, a non-human look. And so this was one of, uh, coming here is one of the hardest shots that we've had to do on the film is Wade's intro here. Uh, Story-wise, we're, we're kicking off the story with Ember's quote-unquote issue, that her temper blew up this pipe and this leak formed, bringing in 
this new water problem. I remember early on in early screening, storyboard form, scratch dialogue, the introduction of Wade was tricky because crying is a big part of his personality, but it, it was hard to get that to resonate in an appealing way. But then once we heard Mamadou's yeah. recordings and what he brought to the character, yeah. his voice, and I remember you talking about early on, you, you saw uh, some of his work mm -hmm. and he had a, a great kind of cry that he would do that just yeah. felt like Wade to you. And then when we saw this with the dialogue cut in, it was yeah. like, okay, there's Wade. Yeah. Um, and that, that played such a huge role in developing his character. What's great about both Mamadou Ache and Leah Lewis, who plays Ember, is that they have these characteristics that are meant to be polar opposite, but they share a tenderness and vulnerability that begins to unify them. And that moment that you're talking about was a, a key ingredient to the casting of, of Wade in terms of trying to find someone that could cry both in a very vulnerable way, but then also in a very fun, appealing way and have a variety of it he did this cry that you were like, this is such a funny cry, but it feels real. That was the magic that we knew that he could play Wade. And the same is true for Leah. She has this ability to be very tender, but then very strong. And trying to find a performer that could embody Ember as a fiery character, it needed that strength. And she also has a deeper register, which can get smoky sometimes. And we always thought that was a cool detail for a fire character. And that initial combativeness of like finding a character coming out of the water, tears first, crying as crazy as he does, uh, next to a very anxious, worried, hot-tempered fire character was sort of our, our, our gumbo, our stew that uh, we were hoping would re taste really good, you know. So this is a sequence called Stop Wade, and uh, there's some really fun transitions in here on Ember that kind of showcase all the new controls we had as animators. So right here she's going to take some deep breaths, and you'll see that her light kind of flashes. She gets brighter and darker, um, and that was called heat, and the animators had the control of this timing that would send the signal to the shading, um, which was a, a kind of a collaboration that we've never really had before as animators. Um, and we use this throughout the film uh, for moments of showing a, an energy shift or an emotional shift, or at times we kind of used our own like fake science behind it as animators to think about like, oh, well, she's fire, she's taking in more oxygen, that would stoke her in her fire. Um, we also have these, this cool moment here when she lands on the, on the floor and you'll see some wisps of fire break away from her. Uh, and those were actually props that the animators hand keyed themselves to dictate to the effects where we wanted to inhabit, how we wanted it to move. And we could kind of create some really thoughtful choices uh, about uh, showcasing how the fire could break apart in a more stylized way. Yeah, and this is Ember's first seeing Element City kind of proper downtown that we call this section Broadway. and. Um, the sets team with art had to really build four different kind of regions of Element City, the fire town, which we've seen, and now we're getting into kind of more the Element City downtown where air characters and water characters and earth characters will live together in harmony. Gwen, to your earlier comment about deliveries, this was the antithesis to that. 
This is where she's more uncomfortable. She's not, you know, gracefully moving through everything through here. She's out of place, tripping over people because she's essentially out of her element. There's a lot of things going on. And uh, it was something that we were very aware of and trying to make sure that our eyes were always focused on what the character was doing, but to also give life to the world. That, you know, like a lot of movies that are shot in cities have this sort of life that's going on around the characters. It's just really ex exciting to see all the collaboration from every department to make this, this, the city of elements come alive. The firewall shots of Ember there too. What was fun is, you know, we're exploiting their elemental nature, like the concept that she uses this cooking oil or this hot oil to kind of like turn into a wall of fire. We started these shots, I, I, how many months did it take? Because <laughs> these shots were like probably the most cross-departmental collaboration if I'm the reason he gets shut down, it will kill him. Oh, he will never trust me to take over. And so this was an important story moment that Ember is vulnerable for this moment uh, in her sort of private moment. That's the thing that stops Wade. The moment that Wade begins to fall in love with Ember. And Mike, this was one of our first sequences. Do you want to start off on this? Yeah, so this fern sequence called Fern Burn was a, the very first sequence we put into production. And we weren't even done building the models. We were using this as a kind of test bed to see if we had everything that we needed. Um, and so we were we were finishing a lot of the, the rigging development here uh, at, the, at this point in time. I think the first time we kind of, you guys animated this, Wade looked a lot different. He was a lot more watery. His face was moving around more, with more bubbles and more simulation, water sim on his top of his head. And we kind of looked at these shots and realized he was a little bit too distracting and kind of mm -hmm. re retuned him, I think, after seeing some of this work. Yeah, once we saw it on the big screen, I think, for the first time, that's where it really hit us that we were having trouble connecting with Wade. Rigging, we understood he's a solid form, so we understood that a little bit more, or how to build that. But once we started seeing those images, that push-pull of, well, water's actually transparent, but then sometimes it starts to look like glass, not like water. Do we go a little more blue for water? And finding that sweet spot really took several iterations and, I mean, a tremendous amount of patience on Shading's part to kind of redevelop some of the work that they had already done to find that look. And so story-wise, working with the writers and story team, we were planning to figure out a way to build pressure in uh, sort of Ember's life as she's trying to, you know, um, correct her mistake and save the shop. And so this was our first idea of escalating her original problem. So that, that pipe that she blew, that she feels like she solved, when she would come down, she realized that she made it, she's made it worse. And she lies to her parents for the first time here. And so this was our first idea of the escalation of this water problem, but not only is it making it hard for the shop, it's actually affecting her father. And that is sort of the heart of the, uh, the conflict for Ember here, is that you know she just really wants her father to be taken care of and the shop to be taken care of so he can retire and you know and, and and rest from all the work that he's done but she's essentially made more problem for him and not only is that it's it's causing dad to get sicker uh and so you'll notice that like he begins to cough 
um, um, this black smoke that, again, I, I'm very connected to because my father passed away from an asthma issue. And uh, uh, it, it would be something that fuels her to, to try to solve these problems. And then from here, we would go into um, um, our first flashback into their homeland to show the this idea of a foreign place that they come from and, and that it feeling like a different culture and uh, um, the reasons why they immigrated to Element City. All was lost for us. Your father understood. This little flashback moment is very much connected to how my father left Korea for the first time that... Uh, that there, there is, you know, this, this, this idea, this film of Ember's journey is a lot to do with understanding her identity. It was the last time. Leaving a home country, there's always a fear uh, between first generation and second generation of loss of culture, culture being sort of boiled away. Bernie's father says, if you leave, you will lose who you are. And uh, uh, thus create, starting a cascade of loss of that identity. And uh, all dad ever wants is to, to, to have her, his father know that he didn't lose it. In fact, that he's even more proud of it. And that's something that also fuels Ember. This sequence here animated by uh, Jordi Onate and Aaron McGriff. This was kind of like one of the first really humorous dialogue acting moments we did. No, I mean like you're smoking. No, I didn't mean it like that. Are you done yet? Yes, please. Where the personality of the characters really came to life and the and exploiting the elemental nature that like Ember's just a little uh, burning fire and then the humor of Wade trying to stomp her out and the distortion of form in there, the personality contrast between the characters. It was exciting when we finally got to this moment. Yeah, and then now we come into um, another section of town. We have just left City Hall, this earth sort of neighborhood, and then now into this air district and showcasing our our city team, you know. Growing up, going to like stadiums in the in, in these cities, have this energy that's so exciting and trying to find a place where, again, Ember would feel out of her element, both in a setting, but also character-wise, knowing that she doesn't belong, but she's gotta jump in here to you know, solve her her ticket problem with Wade's boss. My favorite part of doing these sequences, there's a great story structure to this sequence you just talked about of why this exists in the film and, and what's supposed to take place here. But when you would kick this off with the animators, you'd share an anecdote of like going to a sports event with your father when you were a kid. And there was an, another layer of value of having a moment like this in the film. Um, I, th I always appreciated that. Yeah, and, and to talk more deeper about it, like it's this whole sequence has been put here to trigger a kind of connection and a connection through vulnerability. And uh, Ember is a closed off character with her and it's because how she grew up. She grew up in a tougher world and so she's had these walls. Wade is a little bit more privileged, but he he goes with the flow so much that like he just, he, his emotions are so clear. In building Gale, this air character, that she would essentially be stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with Ember and her temper and how fierce they can get. But what cracks that is Wade's sort of 
empathy and compassion for this player that's like, you know, 600 yards away and that beginning to open up Ember uh, was a really interesting challenge for animation and uh, story-wise to feel her purple fire here that like that would be something early on Gwen that you helped figure out was this idea of her flame going this color. Yeah, I love the 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 purple fire is such a clear cue to the audience, right? Like you just immediately know how Ember's feeling whenever you see that tint of magenta and then it gets a bit darker, a little brighter in her her um, heat going up there. And then the shots there of her face to face, you know, nose to nose with Gail, um, Evan Bonifacio animated those awesome shots and he really unlocked something with the body flames in that shot. Um, those were actually um, posed by the animator underneath that sent a signal to effects to say like, oh, we want bigger, you know, more active flames on our body, working back and forth with Patrick Whiting on that in, in effects. And uh, and once they kind of solved that, then we could use that throughout the film. You know, as Wade is, in, is really feeling the crowd, he triggers this wave. And it's probably one of the hardest things we did on the film. Sanjay? So, so challenging, because it's water characters transitioning into that water and then the scale of it. And yeah, it just was a really, really hard set of effects. Uh, turned out great. Um, I know I've told you before, but the history of the wave actually is kind of interesting too, because it originated in Oakland, the Oakland A's. It was a, a playoff game in the 80s when the, f the wave was first developed. Um, and I was glad that we got to make our own wave again, you know, in the heart of where it was invented. Heck yes. Yeah, Lindsay Andrus and Paul Kanyuk did an insane job getting these crowds, the thousands of characters that were here. Uh, really, really a shout out to that whole crew for this entire sequence. Definitely the biggest crowds in our movie is this sequence here. The other fact about the wave that's interesting, and do you know what it's called in Australia? What? It's called the Mexican wave. Okay. Yeah. And it's because... Um, the first time Australians saw it was at a Mexico World Cup game. Oh. And they assumed that it was a Mexican thing. Oh. In, uh, in our household, we call it... That's Sanjay Wave. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you don't uh, have to use the Mexican Wave. <laughs> um, the, this next uh, sequence here was a really tough sequence. This is one of the hardest sequence w sequences in the film because it's about exposition. It's about setting up the next set of rules and trying to do it in a way that's still entertaining and still moving you forward uh, because of this idea of the water problem and trying to make it cl a clear, gettable thing was still to this day one of the hardest little plot um, puzzles to solve. Uh, obviously, this is the clearest that we got it to, but it was always this thing at this moment where Wade and Ember trying to explain what happened to them, Gail giving the rules of what the city will demand, uh, setting up stakes. It, it's, 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 you know, when I watch it, I, I'm always, uh, I just love the performances through here that really help us move through it. But it's still, it is still, still quite a dump of exposition to, to give and to move us through. Yeah, another moment to continue to escalate um, um, issues at home, which would be dad's ongoing sort of uh, cough. And then and then now kicking off their sort of mystery of where is this leak coming from? How did you even end up here? 
Well, I was in the canals checking the doors for leaks when I found some water that shouldn't have been there. Rusty. Another amazing thing watching through this is just the level of work that the lighting team had to do to unify all these disparate concepts of realistic water, you know, uh, uh, that's non-sentient, the graphic water of Wade, and and Ember's Flames, the look of the city, the realism, where it is, and then some of the graphic elements. And uh, all of it is to try to, have been built to try to set Ember and Wade into this world. Yeah, the challenge of these stylized characters against more realistically modeled sets. Um, a lot of the burden fell on to lighting to integrate those two, and they used a lot of clever techniques to hopefully integrate the characters well into the, into the world. Working with Thomas Newman has been an unbelievable joy, honestly. Like, uh, it's just been a dream come true. This is one of the earliest pieces that he had played for us, this moment in Hot Air Balloon. And uh, it, it's one of my favorite cues in the film. But one of the challenges with the music w was trying to create something that doesn't pull from any other culture because this world is all made up. We were very sensitive in terms of trying to, like, not say that this group was from our human world, that, that, that they would be unique in and of themselves. And, um, and then that being one challenge, and then trying to uh, discover this love that was beginning to grow between Ember and Wade. And a trick that Thomas was doing was highlighting their strengths, meaning the, the, the opening cue to this was a big moment, but it's because Ember was doing something really big. What's the point? Now I just go from one job to the next. There's a word in Firish, dishok. It means embrace the light while it burns, because it won't always last forever. <laughs> or something like that. And of course, this is a moment of xenophobia that has been burned into Ember's childhood, and uh, you can clearly see how she is affected by it. This this was a lot of debate with in Anum and how to perform these sensitive moments. It's a sensitive thing to talk about as well. You don't ever want it to be a preachy thing. It's being spoken through an experience, Ember's experience, and her reaction of like, oh, I see this place, and it's reminding me of, of a scar, essentially. But they said our fire was too dangerous. The idea that xenophobia like that it always is surprising when it happens. As a minority, when someone calls you out or says something to go back to your own country, it's always a surprise. And at that early age, you really don't know what it is. And uh, um, um, for her now as a 20-something to sort of process that uh, was, you know, something really important for the film. I love the way that it ties back to Ember's anger when we come back to her here in present day. Right, that it's she's going purple. She this is still such a deep wound for her that this is tied to her temper. Yeah, I appreciated the authenticity that that is in that moment yeah. from your lived experience, and I appreciated the vulnerability of our animator uh, Carolyn Kaiser, who worked on that sequence, to share that she had similar experiences, and then 
you know, that's what's great about our films is if they come from a real place and we connect to the moments in a real way, and then we put that into the work and on the screen, the audience is going to feel that hopefully when the, when the moment plays through, but it only comes from everyone kind of going to a vulnerable place, which I think is something that's special about the, the culture and community here at Pixar yeah. and how we make the films. The thing that rings so powerful for that moment for me is the fact that like she's seeing she's with her dad and they're both experiencing that racism together mm -hmm. which is you know growing up you might experience it yourself but there's a few instances where as a family you might feel it yeah. and that those you always remember and it kind of bonds the family yeah. your family together more yeah because you realize actually we are together in this yeah and yeah and something that I don't know I was very successful story-wise was I talk a lot about Ember's temper being sort of a wall, but those walls are formed because of experiences like that. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I, we talked about it with the writers and story team a lot about, like, yeah, she has to be a tough street girl because of xenophobia and some of these tough sort of moments. Right. And that's what is rich about that is that, you know, some people talk about maybe her anger is too much and her temper, and it, it, it's, it's a real tough balance to find, but it needs to be there because it was created, you know, and uh, it, it forced her to disconnect. It forced a, a connection issue for her. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like it, it didn't, it, she was born without that sort of feeling, but then because of these incidents, they're there and they start to become a wall that forces her that I don't, I can't connect very well. And, uh, um, uh, through Wade sort of opening that up, it begins to sort of heal. Thanks. The shot where he grabs the sand out of his face, you know, Aaron Hatfield, the animator there, we're flying a little blind because we can't see what that final look's going to be. And it took iterations in shading and lighting to get the hand to read with effects, to get the ripples on the face. And it's not until you see all those layers added up that it really turns out so fantastic. And that, I think... That was a trend we saw over and over and over again on this film was the excitement to see your shot in a final render with all these the extra detail. There's something sort of old school about that that I really appreciate. It's it's the idea of baking these ingredients and not know how it's going to taste for a while. Yeah, uh, It was very much like the early Disney days when they would shoot their pencil test on film. There was no video. And so they would have to, they would wait a long time before those films would be processed and come back to even see what they had done. And there's something to that with these because, you know, uh, animators now, the capability of seeing their animation run in layers much quick, so quickly, it was the thing to wait for. It was like, okay, we're gonna do the animation, now I have to render this and see what what's this cake gonna look like coming out of the, you know, the render oven. The last time I felt this uh, much transformation from your shot in animation to the final render was you know, 20 years ago working on Monsters, Inc. That was the first film we had technology for fur. And you couldn't see Sully's fur when you were animating the shot. You had to animate blind. And then when you would see it rendered with all the fur, you'd be like, oh, that's his pose. And then you'd have to go back in and make adjustments. And that, you know, and so this felt like traveling back in time, working on a very early Pixar film where, with emerging technology that... yeah. This is a sequence called Connection Montage. 
it was one of the first things I had boarded early on, just these two characters falling in love. And so a lot of these gags uh, were from the beginning in terms of how to exploit and see each other in new ways. And um, um, this idea in the beginning of the montage, the idea that Ember doesn't quite fit into the world. Like she can't take photos really well. She doesn't sit in the theater comfortably. But then the, in the middle of the montage, it begins to shift. You know, she, we see her smoke rings, uh, you know, appease these kids, you know, and uh, we begin to see her loosening up and uh, her walls coming down. And then we get to, you know, the end of the montage where uh, they're beginning to see more in each other and they're beginning to laugh about the differences. This was one of the sequences that in one of the earliest screenings had me hooked. Yeah. I, th that's when I knew I needed to work on this movie. And part of it's I know you, Pete, and your wife, Anna. Yeah. And so to see you make a movie and then you have a montage kind of love story moment in there, yeah. you know, I, I'd love to watch her watching this sequence. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's a, She hasn't seen it. And so I'm so curious what she's going to say. A, a little sensitive moment where Wade um, puts his hand out. And, and this idea of touching and the idea of uh, a hand uh, in, in getting close to water would be sort of a visual motif that we would constantly use to try to build to our uh, end of act two when uh, you know, they finally uh, start to come together. Whoa, how'd you do that? So what was this one of the, the like the third sequence that we had animated? I think this was the second okay. sequence in animation, yeah. Yeah, still so much discovery happening here. Um, from like this moment of like Ember landing that Jay Kim animated, yeah. and uh, that weightlessness, that that gaseousness, that we realized that we could kind of change the the weight properties of Ember that to make her not feel human so much, and then that great dash across the the crystals by Davi Anderson, yeah, and Jonathan Hoffman doing all those awesome colors and figuring out how to push that through the simulation. Yeah, you know, looking back on it, there was no pipeline for any of this. Right. That's yeah. you're right. We were totally on the fly figuring out step by step. Jason Katz, our story supervisor, really was the backbone to this moment uh, of, of when the waterfalls sort of come on onto the to the sides of Ember, this curtain of water surrounding Ember there. And um, immediately it was one of those magical moments that even boards you were like, oh, what a what a beautiful moment this could be. And I remember one of our story artists talking about that feeling of love. When you have one of those days when you're falling in love, there's this feeling that you get of like, what an amazing day that was. And uh, so that moment was born from that truth of what it feels like to be, to find that kind of new love. And then and then the, 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 the positive to negative switch of like, oh, I, I don't, I can't even be thinking about this because... I can't even touch this water. And then the reveal of her future of the shop, uh, of, of the fireplace store uh, happening right when the curtain disappears. And so from this moment of extreme worry, changing gears into this really sort of more fun moment of this flower delivery and how difficult this was. Sanjay, do you want to talk about these eyes? Yeah, just like hiding weight in these these vases was so challenging. The first time we did it, it they looked so cartoony and stickery, like the eyes were st just stickers. And John Barry, one of our effects artists, really 
made a look that we used again and again of just getting the ripples around the eyes to so that the water reacts just enough in the bubbles and just really like sitting those eyes in the water in a way that is more believable than and, and interesting. And then Vandana, uh, a, a lighter, has really figured out how Wade could look. And this was kind of the prototype of how good Wade could look. Water looks so different under different lighting circumstances. And I remember, Pete, when you saw this, how excited you were about how, how, how Wade was looking. Yeah, she had lit the sort of the meniscus around Wade in a way that sort of highlighted our quote-unquote line work, but did it in a way that wasn't distracting, but really re reflective and felt like water. But, it, it, you know, it echoes Ember's line work around her face. And so it was this unifying idea that Daniel Lopez Munoz sort of came up with. Come to inspect your food. And so this was always just an idea that I've always wanted from the inception in the, of the film is trying each other's foods uh, culturally. Like I remember this with my family, you know, marrying outside of uh, that wasn't Korean uh, and then having my wife's family try Korean food for the first time or even my wife trying something spicy. And so this was all a fun way to represent that. And uh, the animation here like some of these gags were unfinished in boards that we didn't have a, a real punchline. Again, another collaboration with you guys that figured out a way to make this stuff funnier than it ever was in boards. And um, um, Cody Lyon and this idea of a bubble burp and then the burp leaving the body, because we used to have him just scream, the bubble would pop in front of Wade's face. That was what we had in the boards. And then it was pitching with you guys and I think Layout and even Pete Doctor, the, this idea of like, oh, what if the yell comes from something else? You know, uh, and then in, in front of dad's face and that was also last minute in Layout and then Cody Lyon really knocked that out of the park. And then the effects of it, like how that bubble comes out. Elvira really figured out a really ba a balanced way to have something caricatured but feel like a real bubble. And just the right amount of smoke in it to make it feel. Yeah, I think the, the bubble was originally just popped and there was just the sound of a shout. But when Cody showed his blocking, he had sculpted in this mouth right. on the bubble. <laughs> yeah. The bubble itself was screaming. <laughs> yeah. It took that classic cartoon yell in a jar run way out into the yeah. forest and yeah. open the jar <laughs> gag to a t the next level yeah don't worry i've got this so we got this little cutaway to the band board here i was lucky enough to get to pose wade in that photograph it was so difficult to pose him as simple as wade looks i was shocked at how many options and ways to uh get an expression or a pose out of him this moment here when dad coughs is when he, when Montague Ruffin first animated this, we could all feel like the empathy for this father and that this was like, his, his, his cough is clearly worsened and uh, he just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, the distortion of the volume of his head just feels so gaseous and fiery and weak. It, it captured everything just right. It was a real challenge for the animators thinking about what is new fire? What is old fire? What is sick fire? Right. Uh, and what you know controls can we uh, weave into that to create those those different feelings? All right. One of our first pre-production tests we did 
was centered on this moment in mm. the film, this candlelight sequence, yeah. because you knew Ember at her lowest low, you wanted to go to a, a weak candlelight flame. Yeah. Her flame can be gaseous and can really be amorphous in a way that was emotional. The most connectable thing was, oh, what does fire look like when it's angry? And you could feel it. So then all of a sudden, instead of using elemental, the elements in a external way, using elements to support emotions really came into being. This idea of going vulnerable and going candlelit to, so that it feels like the flame could be fragile and it could just be blown out at any moment and she could just go away. We had controls for Ember's fire speed and that was set up and curated by the effects team. So we could tune down Ember's fire and it would be a little bit slower. Um, and in a vulnerable moment like that, uh, everything is kind of cueing you in as an audience member, the feel of her, th that there is a vulnerability and a sadness. Everything just kind of calms and, and slows down there. It's glass. And this, so these, this effect was a really difficult one to, in the time that we had and the frames that we had to sort of buy that she absent-mindedly made this flower in this uh, glass ball. Uh, it was just the effects of it were so cool uh, done by Kylie Weismuller. Yeah, she ended up doing a bunch of those kind of one-off glass building artistry yeah. ember shots and yeah. became an expert at those kind of shots. And then, the, the, and then of course, the handshake with Manu Manias. Yes. Uh, who was the lighter of that sequence. The candlelight, you know, diminishment of Ember is yeah. really, like, choreographed by him. Yeah, it's a, it was a really tough balance. Yes. I've just never been punched in the face with beauty before. <laughs> this glass wall moment, I think, is another example of just how much crossover there was between every department to, to solve a, a shot like Ember melting down that sand into glass. And then the shapes that she created, you know, each level of building it, all of those had to be sort of pre-designed and modeled. Uh, and then also then that piece of geometry is handed off to effects to make that always feel like it's sort of oozing and sagging and planning for that sort of drift and shift in animation. Just a lot of complexity in that shot. Yeah, and it's really fun working at Pixar because there's a lot of specialists here. Yeah, one of those specialists was Amit Badkar, who has done a bunch of the big water sims in the show. Um, really able to like produce really high detailed, big water kind of simulations. And PE, I know you really started to admire him because he would be able to turn around those shots so fast. Yeah, you know, ironically, like I, I'm just not a fan of that concept of some like the computer just pushing a button yeah. and this effect, but his work was so seamless that it always felt like that, that yeah. he would just show you the, you know, like the amount of volume that it was created, he would just show you these sims and it would just right. be super clear and impressive and, yeah. uh, you know, show the scope that we would need. Probably felt like he was just pressing a button, but all the other effects artists were in awe of how he was <laughs> fast yeah. he was able to turn it yeah. around. He was really great. And so, triggering Cinder's superpower of smelling love, she's beginning to smell and get suspicious of, of Ember and, uh, and who is this person that she's with. And so Ember, 
you know, because of her anxiety about where her father's at, rushes over to Wade to understand, like, where is Gail's, you know, where the, where these, where are these tickets at? Um, but something that we really wanted to set up was to showcase where Wade is from. And Wade comes from a, a really wealthy family, a very privileged family in this water district area that, you know, was very reminiscent and we were inspired by, like, sort of the, you know, Upper East Side of Manhattan, these tall buildings with doormen and, the, you know, uh, but it's all like water and uh, trying to make another place where Ember can be uncomfortable. Uh, but now that we've gone down this journey where they're feeling a, a bit more for each other, Ember and Wade uh, are, are really beginning a relationship. And that so coming up to this place to meet Wade's family means a little more uh, for her that she's excited to do it. Yeah, that um, Juan Carlos animation is so funny. Ember, oh, I'm so excited to finally meet you. Do we hug or wave or don't want to put you out? <laughs> and then here, Catherine O'Hara and her sort of explosion of welcome was a big sort of contrast that we wanted uh, uh, from uh, like a water family from uh, Ember's fire family. And that they were, that the, the, even the families were the opposite and that she was very open, a little, you know, a little bias here and there. But hopefully you would get, not only are they, you know, wealthy and live in this pool, um, but that they're also very emotional and that they're very in tune with their feelings and are open to talk about anything. And I remember feeling this with some of my friends' families where they're like so connected, where my family did not talk about anything personal. At our dinner table, it was just like taxes, you know, and, you know, like church and, you know, like uh, the next day of work where you'd go to your friends' families' homes and they would be talking about, what did you do today? Like, oh, I was doing X and then you're like, oh, how did that feel? Like, it didn't feel that great. I'm, like, I'm going to talk to the teacher about it tomorrow. I'm like, wow, you guys are so open with your feelings and trying to build a world like that for Ember to really showcase the contrast. For students at Element. Yeah, I really love this sequence. It captured that feeling of going to somebody's house and not fitting in. And the fire water thing just exploits that so much where you feel like you're in a different world, yeah. even though it's like your friend's house the first time you visit. Wonderful painter. One of his paintings just got in the Element City Museum's permanent collection. That's right. Yeah, and that, that we had sort of more inter-elemental relationships going on. And as we were discovering, it almost made Ember too accepted, like that she could fit in like too easily. And so switching that out so that it's all water was was the push to make sure that like they're welcoming, but they still there's still a little edge of not fitting in that I thought was a really interesting balance. You know, um, uh, you have to give a shout out to the art department and, and lighting for that set and, and sets on Hancho and that team. Like production designer um, Don Shank uh, took so many of these concepts. That's his artwork on the wall, by the way. Those are his watercolors and acrylic paintings that he does, uh, you know, so beautifully. I can fix it. This moment here when Alan Wade's brother breaks this picture uh, we had it in storyboards where it was just sort of a very practical version of making it into something new. Um, but our editorial team, headed by Steve Schaefer, and if, you know that the team worked a way to make it a little bit more magical through the cuts and the use of music. There was this jazz track that sort of supported us going into the zone with Ember. Uh, as she sort of got lost in remaking the picture into this new 
um, a beautiful piece of art. And uh, just, you know, again, throughout the whole movie, what the editorial team uh, did, oh, it, it, this is a perfect metaphor for it, of this, you know, artful way to bring us into the characters. You have one minute. Go! 1979, November. So many good play on words in here, like the Marco Polo gag, <laughs> yeah. the thought bubble gag, yeah. being a watercolor painter. This is great. Yeah, this was a lot of great work from our early writer, Brenda Shea. Uh, had, we had sort of pitched this idea of a water dinner and a crying game, and so there was a lot of elements that were still from there. And then, of course, um, uh, John Hoberg and Kat Lickle putting this all together and bringing in their love to like that moment where uncle harold speaks you know this little bias of like oh you speak so well which was a very real thing for me uh you know the and then and then this game of of the actual crying game he let her go thinking surely summer would come again <laughs> it never did almost out of time Ember. The, the crying game is just one of my favorite things. It was a real early pitch early on. There were several versions in like an outline form that was sort of dark. And uh, um, um, from there, it was just like, Pete, you know, like uh, th these these elements of the racism are, are, are really heavy. And then in terms of trying to understand what the point of this thing, like I sort of rethink, rethought some situations and the crying game was one of those first things that came from it of like, oh yeah, you know, like I am a very emotional person and you know, like I tried to hide my crying at home when I'm watching like the Olympics or like a commercial about a kid that needs the diaper change or you know, like any of these weird silly commercials, like my wife will catch me tearing up at this stuff and it's very embarrassing, but I can't help it. And, and this idea of like, oh, could we come up with a game that would exploit like how they, they, they wouldn't cry because they cry at everything and they cry at so many things, you know, like trying not to cry was this funny concept that just exploded a lot of ideas. There were so many different stories that they would do and then trying to use that as a, as a, as a vehicle for Ember and Wade's love story, it was a really fun twist to go, oh, I'm trying to make you cry but then all of a sudden, I get Wade gets lost in Ember's eyes, and it's it becomes sincere. It's not a game anymore. And then uh, we go into this wonderful dream sequence that was boarded by Anna Benedict, of of what and we originally I pitched to Anna this idea of like, oh, it should be a little bit more nightmarish, and she returned said, no, I'm gonna try this thing and tried this moment where it was about like th them not touching. That was more on point to the film. Get out here, ma'am. And I'm afraid I will throw up. Ember, Ember, hold up! What's going on? I can't believe she basically offered me a job. And so this was a tough sort of moment, story-wise, that Ember would walk out of there angry uh, after the dinner. It comes from a real place of her future was set. 
And just by this small little offering by Wade's mother, Brooke, of a possible internship, that might not even happen. And it's not even, it's not even that real just yet. But that, th that amount of information would break her circuits. That, like, th I can't even think about anything like that. But the reason that it breaks her is that something inside her wants it. And she's covering it up with her temper. And, uh, but she's subconscious to this. This, this, this reveal here is, is that red herring I was talking about in Act One, where we think it's about a character trying to overcome her temper issue. But through w this relationship with Wade, it's, you know, Wade says in the hot air balloon, like, oh, well, I don't think a, a, a temper is bad. I just think it's you trying to tell you something. And, and then Ember is beginning to process that simple concept of maybe my temper is trying to tell me something. And then here she's realizing what it's telling her that she may not want this future of, of running the store. Because the only way to repay a sacrifice so big is by sacrificing your life, too. Ember! Don't move! Please, my mother. The conflict of the love detective Cinder catching them sort of in the act that she can smell her uh, is the catalyst sort of to the all of Act 3 here. This, this really does begin the cascading of now that Cinder knows the idea that are they in love or not, and that Cinder would try to prove that they're not. But then Wade obviously would figure out a way around this test and put that into question that maybe they are. And this really begins to sink into Ember, am I in love? And it will build to a place where, you know, she is and that she can't have it. This was a very difficult idea to sell that his body would become a magnifying uh, lens to focus the light. In the boards, we had the, the, uh, Wade's belly going concave to form the sharp point. But I love that, uh, Mike, you were talking about with the animators, like, that's not real though. Like when you guys did the research, the, the a lens would go convex outward and then focus the light into that pinpoint thing. And uh, it broke my brain. Like I, I really couldn't understand it because uh, I'm terrible at science, but I'm so glad that we went for that true detail, you know? Yeah, the animators, you know, when they start their shots, they do a tremendous amount of research to kind of understand some of the conceptual things. So Luis, who animated these shots, came back with research he had done uh, on the science behind it. So then we had to rethink the shots a little bit and then and kind of present that logic in a way that would be intuitive. We're hoping our scientist fans out there watch this with appreciation and, and admiration for our due diligence. It was just me. And so this, this upcoming moment here of Cinder animation, of her sort of lying and coming up with a reason of what they're doing there is probably one of my favorite Cinder shots in the film, animated by Teresa Falcone. Um, but, you know, right here, this, that, yeah, that little hand gesture is so funny. But just a fun fact of Teresa is that she used to be, uh, she used to work at Disney World as one of the walk-around characters. And uh, so she's just had a lot of experience with a lot of people. I, was she Jesse? I think so. I think she was Jesse. I think she played some other characters. 
Before I give it to you, she's amazing. I need you to understand what it means to me. And so this moment uh, in the film where dad turns around and is looking for approval from her father comes from a really personal place. Um, when my father left Korea in the late 60s to come to the United States, he was the first son uh, to, to leave the family to emigrate. Um, and so it was a big deal. And uh, they had, you know, they had just gone through a war. And so there was not a lot of money. And so leaving that country was a big deal. And uh, um, when my father passed away, my, my, my uncle told me the story of when he left, uh, you know, you go to these small town airports and uh, when he was bringing his luggage to the, the little staircase of the plane, I've now seen photos since then of it, that he turned around and did this bow. And in Korean culture, it's a very respectful bow, and it's called the, the kunchal, which means big bow. And uh, um, it was very emotional uh, for all the relatives that stayed behind because they didn't know when they would see him again. And so uh, this was all stemmed off of that story that I heard of my father. It's, you know, Bernie says it's the highest honor. I mean, it's the highest form of respect that one can give to each other. And so this is the setup, obviously, to the end of the movie that he didn't get that approval from his own father and uh, trying to find a way to make that emotionally clear. And it's, and it's approval that was connected to that identity issue that we had talked about early on as, as Ember is dealing with her identity issues. Ember, so what'd your mom say about our reading? That was really difficult work too, the, mm -hmm. the glass work. Yeah. And you came all the way here to give it to me? Wait, why are you giving me gifts? Does that box look like metal, you guys? <laughs> <laughs> the trash, a, the trash box. <laughs> yeah, just another, you know, thing where every item, you know, we would break rules here and there about like what would be burnt and what wouldn't. And that was a tough one. And then we come into um, a sequence called Bubble Date. And so as we were talking about that sort of xenophobic moment earlier, you know, Wade's gift would be trying to get her to see Vivisteria. And uh, for Ember, you know, uh, it becomes this healing moment or a healing gift. What's going on? I know you think you have to end. It's fun seeing Gail again. I, I love the scale that Gail is, like the choice to make her just so much larger than the other characters. It just, again, takes them away from sort of feeling human. Yeah. We all got so excited to see her hot air balloon jacket, the brilliance in that, and then and then the the way that the cloth and tailoring department yeah. built that is so good. I think those designs were Anna Scott who came up with these hot air balloon shoulder puffs. And this idea was of 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 blowing a bubble air into a, into the water to create this sort of air pocket for Ember to jump into was sort of triggered off of taking my daughter to a festival, there were these like plastic bubbles that you could put your kids into and have them sit and, and uh, put them in these little pools. But it was this idea of getting in there and this, they, they had to inflate the bubble while the kid was in there and the hair was going wild. But that really inspired this idea of Ember having this transportation to get down there. Uh, another fun fact of that this whole concept was inspired by, in one of my dad's grocery stores, there was a basement that I never had access to until recently, but it was connected to an old train station in New York. 
And uh, growing up, it was always this mystery of like, what did the train station look like? And so it was always this want to bring Ember into the bowels of Element City. And that it would have this sort of foreboding, dangerous feeling, but at the same time, wonder and sort of this immersive miracle of fire being in water. I'll be honest, until effects got in and did the work on the bubble yeah. and lighting got in and yeah. put the murk in there and the trailing bubbles off Wade swimming in water, yeah. then it all came together yeah. In, yeah. in a really believable way. And I'm glad we kept it in the film because I think this is one of the most dreamlike yeah. sequences in the film. It's certainly visually like one of the most memorable moments where yeah. when our films are great, we take an audience to a place that you actually couldn't go to yeah. outside of our films. I remember like, is this gonna work though? The first bubble looked like sort of like a force field. It didn't really feel like it was underwater. There were so many challenges to it that, you know, the teams just kept layering and ideas and retweaking stuff to finally make it work or, or, or you know, in our world. Um, but I wanted to just say something of like, I, uh, that look that Sean Chaco did between when Ember's reaching out for the flowers and looks to Wade, I think is my favorite piece of animation in the film. Uh, it, and it's because it's a, it's a moment where Ember's experiencing healing of having a moment that she couldn't get to that was a trauma for her. And it's done as this gift from Wade. Wade is not, Wade doesn't know what's gonna happen here. And there's this gratitude, expression of love, these layers of feelings of like, oh my God, I finally got to see the Vivisteria. Like there's all this stuff going on with this look that like if I had just added a piece of dialogue, thank you, it would have just killed it. But Sean's performance of like this soft look over and Wade's small smile of this understanding is, is so amazing. It's so beautiful. Pete, at a company meeting, you pitched the concept of this film, and one of the images you showed was the drawing of the, the hands touching, right? With, with this tagline of like a love story between fire and water. Yeah. Could they even touch? Yeah. And that hook, you like instantaneously got this whole studio excited and interested in this film. So when we got to this sequence to animate it, this was kind of like sacred ground at that point. We purposely saved this sequence to be one of our later sequences. So we knew we were the most ramped up and the most ready to kind of go in and, and animate this moment. And then the effects that are involved in that first contact, this was also one of the last shots we finished. Like we're in our final week of production and this shot's you know, just now getting approved. So um, th this sequence is really, it's an iconic moment. Um. Yeah, the, you know, when I first boarded this, it was trying to capitalize on the feelings of it, right? It's like the, the, the job in story and in animation and art and all that we're doing, we're just trying to capture truths that feel real to us or authentic. And when you're falling in love with someone and that, that those first touches of like a, like a hand touch or a gesture, you know, can be so crazy. It can be this goose pimply feeling and then that the, the flames would have this sort of reaction. Wade's hands, arms would bubble up like goose pimples to a certain degree, but that 
that it, this is a chemical reaction as well. You know, the fire and water, when they meet, they will create steam and trying to exploit that idea of like, how do you cinematically show that feeling? And uh, it was, it was, it was one of the quickest things I ever bought just because it came out so fast. I think the color key was really inspiring here too, right? That Carlos Leon did? Yes, that's right. Yeah, Carlos Leon was a powerhouse, a beast of just figuring out the, the color but and the look with Don Shank and JC um, 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 Kalash, our, our head of lighting, uh, of what the look would be, you know, and that was all being figured out as we were making this. And then to get to this moment where they finally touch for the first time uh, was really thr thrilling as 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 filmmakers, and so here is the 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 tearing up of the relationship. Um, this sort of movement around each other, the blocking as as Ember holds the power by going higher up the steps, was very purposeful, and and Wade sort of re receding, and then sort of, you know, so that she's looking down on him at this point, and then Wade taking a few steps to get eye to eye to make his point. And so, yeah, so he's still sitting there and then the blocking of his character coming up closer to Ember as Ember sort of scoffs at Wade's privilege and understanding of where Ember's at. I'm fire, Wade. I can't be anything more than that. Tarun was one of the first animators on the film in pre-production um, and really uh, unlocked so many things for us um, in Ember's performance and her elementalness. And I really think these shots kind of bring it all together and, and showcase just all the little bits and pieces that make her feel like like she is fire instead yeah. of being on fire. We, we should talk about Tarun Lakshminarayan in a little bit here. <laughs> like he really did set a lot of what the film's motion and pushed quality to the elements could be. Some of these shots were so difficult that rendering all of these fire characters was very new for Pixar because they're all volumes and the computer has to, you know, build each one of these pixels, even if they're transparent. And uh, um, it was just tremendous work to get any of these uh, crowds of fire characters going. Yeah, you're looking at all of these fire characters and one project we undertook early was to stylize the flames, the flames yeah. using neural style transfer, NST. Paul Kanyak kind of spearheaded that project. And I know, Pete, you are really after this thing that behaves like fire and looks like fire, but is kind of not exactly fire because it, that can be so distracting. Mm -hmm. And using this technique, organized the flames in a way that was really appealing yeah. and stylized, but still felt like fire. Yes. And the, the, that technique uses GPUs, not CPUs, which is something that Pixar hasn't used a lot of for final rendering. And so there's a lot of technology that went into getting these flames to be stylized like this. And our systems team here at Pixar really helped us out in getting the tech in place so we could do this many characters, this many frames. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful to Paul Kanyak. Uh, you know, I've got a shout out from the mountaintops, like his you know, understanding of new tech and everything and bringing this idea that was just almost nascent when he first started bringing this up because the Disney Research Group in Zurich had really just 
done some papers that, but none of it was ever used. Right. And uh, this idea of bringing graphic shapes into three-dimensional flames was so new. And uh, at that early time, I remember Sanjay Yu and Paul were saying, like, maybe we could do a couple shots of Ember. Yeah. Just maybe five or six throughout the film. And then from there to where we are, where the majority Paul of and, these, yeah. Yeah, and, and the, the, the research group opt optimized so much of it that we could get yeah, all just, the fire characters to unify, you know? Yeah, it was just so helpful and effective in stylizing these characters that we wanted to use it more and more, and Paul really pushed so that that could happen. Uh, yeah, among other people, but yeah, Paul's the driving force, Paul Kenya. I got to say, the we changed each other's chemistry line is like... Uh, that goes on the shelf of iconic movie lines because it's 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 a beautiful kind of like description of the impact they had. We just visually saw it in first touch, and then it's so elemental in nature that it's just like perfect on so many levels. Yeah, yeah. The, the writers did such a great job. John and Cat really, because they're a married couple, they were able to bring so much of, you know their love lives into these characters and, and, and find the fun in their emotion. And uh, um, uh, yeah, that line was one that we talked about a lot. You, you should be invited to the first wedding to use that. And <laughs> so, someone's going to watch this movie. They're going to love it so much. They're going to fall in love with someone and they're going to use that in their vows. I guarantee it. Ember. I don't. Yeah. I mean, there's people that, what is it? At Disneyland, you can get married there if you get up at 4 a.m. in the morning and you go get married yes. at Disney World. So yeah. there's an audience for that. There's. Yeah. Yeah. The, as long as they go see the movie first. <laughs> the elemental themed wedding. Um, this, this whole moment, uh, obviously is, is, you know, an end of act two where Ember loses all the pieces of her life. You know, she's, she denies Wade and, uh, um, 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 her, like who start triggered the problems at the shop is revealed to dad and she loses, you know, her future of running the shop. Dad clearly pulls that away and, uh, um, her relationship feels broken and then uh, this sort of farcical way that Cinder, Ember's mom, defends that, that it was true love, that, that they were a perfect match, you know, uh, uh, was really a fun place in the writing to get to that, the, that John and Kat really sort of helped us find. Then building up to this moment where she's questioning her, her identity and who she is. I don't know how successful this idea really is ultimately this idea that when she looks over to Firetown, that's a part of her. When she looks to Element City, that that's a part of her. That which one of these futures will she pick? And then that when she finally sees her like reflection in it, you know, we've got those two cities, the two sides of the cities reflected into that glass ball, that that is who she is, that she can be both of those things and she just doesn't realize it yet, you know. And then, of course, all the great work here by Chris Chapman and John Reich's team. Amit, what crazy Rod water work here. Tim Speltz, yeah. Yeah, Tim Speltz's work here. And uh, the, the, that water being a metaphor for how much Ember has been holding back, you know, that like her, motion, her emotions have been built. And then finally, because she's closed the door to everyone, cracks and uh, threatens uh, her, her, her community and her, and her family's shop. Well, one way ticket to anywhere but here. 
go. Travel the world. Heal that broken heart. My little drip, drip, baby boy. Drip, drip, drip goes the baby boy. And so this is a sequence called One Way Ticket where, you know, Wade's going to leave brokenhearted. And Brooke's nursery song that she sings here, Catherine O'Hara is, you know, one of my favorite performers of all time. We thought we were going to get to record with her more, but her first session that we got, like she was so funny and so on point that that's all we ever did with her. We recorded this one session and she was so good in it. That little song was prompted by John and Kat wrote different little phrases and uh, this drip drip baby boy was just those four words written in there and then you know there wasn't a melody and then just we just talked to Catherine about you know your very emotional character and you're feeling really deeply for his broken heartedness and uh, can you use some of these phrases to sing this song <laughs> And she just went into, like, she just turned on the tears. She brought us, like, into some memory of, like, looking at baby photographs and imagining a baby in her hands. And uh, she did that all just on the fly. We're just so excited that she said yes to the film. Ah, the flame! And so this is going into the climax of the film. You feel the danger of this water and this flood. And all the debris here is also done by our effects department. Yeah, and then the wonderful layout and sets work to make us feel we're there. And, you know, sets providing all of this geometry. Tall Schwartzman jumped in to help out with the bridge collapse, too, to handle the big pieces. Yeah. We could talk about Tall for hours. Yeah, Tall really did lift so much of the movie on his back in terms of all the support that he did through all these shots, you know. Yeah, being our fixed lead, this, this show, uh, with the transformation through effects required some heavy lifting on the back end to go back into shots and tweak details to get to get him to work cohesively with the effects and he was always on top of that. Yeah, so many effects, so much storytelling happening in the effects here. To build this set from the beginning, we had to build this we had to work backwards from this concept of this Alamo, that that hearth all arrows would point to that hearth, meaning the water is flowing toward what would be Cinder's smoke reading room behind this a cauldron of the blue flame. And Ember's trying to protect it, but trying to make this essential highway of water that would come down through the front door, push all this debris into the cauldron and Ember so that they are locked and wedged into this hearth. And uh, um, there was a lot of backwards engineering to get to this idea. Uh, uh, so that in the beginning that you go, oh, they're in the hearth, it's a small space, and then the surprise that we thought that the blue flame was gone, but Wade, through his water movements underwater, miraculously saved this flame, but then now that they're stuck in here, Ember trying to find a way out, that this little puzzle of how to begin to boil Wade, you know, would start way in the beginning when Dad picked this building as the place to build this uh, shop, and then when we showcased Cinder's smoke room, that we would showcase the smoke going up the chimney, that we would showcase these pieces to give you a little bit more details of what this place was, so that when you were here, you're not thinking about where we are. You know where you are, and you're just immersed into what these characters are going through. And uh, um, um, the combination of effects work and animation here is some of my favorite, like, sort of handshakes between the departments building this out in terms of performance and then building this fear that, that Wade would be boiling away.
these these aren't necessarily the some of the hardest effect shots in the movie, but we iterate out on them a lot because there's so much storytelling in this progression of Wade getting hotter and hotter, the activity of the bubbles changing, and the mist or him evaporating and getting that all that timing right so that you're really in the moment and you understand that he's diminishing and going away, but you're really reading the emotional kind of information that you need to get out of this. Just some really beautiful, sensitive performances here at the end of the sequence by Jem Megiddo and John Lee. Yeah, really incredible work. I really do love it when your light does that. And so one of the ingredients to the film is this misunderstanding. You know, this was something that I had talked about before we had put pen to paper, this idea of appreciating what your parents had done. And uh, Ember's goal has been to fulfill dad's dream. And that's the misunderstanding here. There's all this wonderful animation of Ember seeking forgiveness for what transpired through all this. Um, but she tells her truth finally and tells her father that, she, you know, she's learned that she doesn't want to run this shop, that it's not her dream. This is all my fault. The shop. Wade. I needed to tell you the truth. I don't want to run the shop. I know that was your dream. And then dad would say this line of, the shop was never the dream, you are the dream. That line was f there from the very beginning and sort of became a North Star when we were with the story team and we would get lost. As you do, uh, you know, making these reels, that idea of the shop wasn't the dream, that you were the dream was something that I remember connecting to Pete Doctor when I had first pitched this idea that in these rooms when you are just trying to figure out the story, you know, um, um, I remember talking to Pete about it, and like that's that's that line ha contains so much of what this whole film is about. Uh, and so, the way it was animated and lit, and uh, Tom's music supporting it in this way, uh, really feels like a dream come true for me because it was one of those first ingredients to the heart of this film. And then, of course this idea of, of Wade coming back through the miracle of condensation, you know, and, you know, it was not, this was not the original ending, you know, the original ending was the other versions of where there was this sort of war with dad and then finally being grateful with dad. And there were speeches essentially as, as I think the endings, but I, in the back, I always had this seed of, of an idea of Wade going away and then elementally coming back through crying. And uh, it had it had started when we had first come up with a crying game, and it was a hard fight to get this idea because I don't think a lot of people understood what I was talking about at first about like no no he can come back through crying and like what are you talking about <laughs> and like no 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 there's I bet you there's a way, and um, um, as all of us you know like making something, it was a really thrilling moment uh, when we had shown this to an uh, at an audience preview, and um, when Wade's Mamadou's first little cry happens that everyone knew like, oh, he's alive. 
or he could be alive. And there was a gasp there that whatever happens to this movie, I'll always cherish that like, oh, they're connected. The audience is connected to these characters and they're, they're joyous to see a character that they really sort of got charmed by come back. When Wade comes out without the shirt, he feels so naked. Yeah, Do you, yeah. I, I always have that. Yeah. And then I'm waiting for him to get his clothes back on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why is that? It's just a shirt. I know, and he has no pants. <laughs> and, and and throughout the whole film, yeah. you know, the um, the writing of this of like you know bringing back, you know, half a butterfly, and bringing the crying game back. And what John and Cat wrote here, I just absolutely love. There's the layers of Wade's a crier. And it's his crying that saves him in the end. Yeah. But it's brought about by Ember, who wasn't a crier. Yeah. And she's using these corny lines he tried on her that didn't <laughs> even work. But on him, it's a life-saving thing. If you were a vegetable yeah, and so this is our you know, last two sequences of the film. Um, obviously, the floods have subsided, and um, they're repairing the town. Everything's coming back to normal, and we're we're you know getting these little glimpses of the afterlife of all of these characters that we've met along the journey. Um, uh, I love these shots done by Ken Kim of this sort of flirty, burgeoning romance between these two characters, uh, but then getting to see dad and and in, in, in his retirement, you know spending time with his, his, his wife as they joke around. And uh, this was a moment that I really was passionate about, about Ember coming to the store, looking up, and feeling this sort of bittersweet sort of goodbye to this life and uh, knowing that she's about to travel to a new one. I totally feel that experience being a second generation born here and then leaving to go to college for that first time and that sort of universal feeling of like, you know, this was my home, and now I'm off to find something new. Uh, and then this look with Dad. You know, I, I'm not really one for tearful goodbyes. <laughs> Those jackets are pretty rad. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is the end of the film, you know, and uh, uh, it's, it's once we found, discovered this ending, it's sort of just locked in there because uh, it really does double duty for the story. Ember obviously moving on, but the healing of, of dad's past, of, of him not getting that sort of approval from his father. And, you know, we would always talk about this. It wasn't just a love story between a water guy and a fire girl, but it was a triangle. It was also the story of a father and a daughter and their love story. We were real nervous about trying to capture these emotions and on every level, the layout, the lighting, the animation, the music. And this is Cody Lyons stuff right here, right? On Ember. On Ember, and then Sean Chaco on, on the parents. Yeah, I love Cinder's reaction in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, I get very emotional thinking about this because the heart of this thing, you know, like when, when my dad passed away, that like I feel lucky that I was able to tell him thank you for all of the, all that he gave, you know, and 
this idea of a daughter's gesture of not only saying that thank you, but that I love you, and all of that resting in this gesture just means so much to the end of the movie before she goes off into her future, you know? Really nice, Pete. Yeah. One of the luckiest things about this job of making a movie like this is that you get to see, you, you jump from department to department and seeing what all of these amazing artists are doing. And uh, when, when an animator rocks a shot out or when a, a performer does a take or when a light, lighter shows their work for the first time, it's incredible to see um, people that are very passionate about their work, you know, um, um, do the work. And uh, um, um, uh, this, this was a show where not only were they were doing their work, they were doing it together. And they were doing it in, in a way that I hadn't seen before, uh, you know, and uh, um, uh, I was really, um, really grateful of all the work that was brought together for this film. And, um, you know, super grateful for all of your work too, you know, like Mike, Gwen, Sanjay, you know, and, and, and everyone that worked on the show. You try to stay as present as you can through these things, and um, there will never be another crew like this. And so you really feel that. This was seven years, you know. My parents died through this thing, and so there's a conclusion to this that's very emotional for me. And saying goodbye to the people that you were with through this is very bittersweet, you know, and uh, because you've put so much of your heart into it. And uh, um, and so, again, I'll just be forever grateful for all the work that everyone gave in you guys. And, and thanks for doing this commentary with me to talk about it all. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, thanks, Pete. I think, you know, your honesty and vulnerability throughout the whole process really connected people to the film, not just through you, but through their own personal connections. As people joined the film, you would have them share a little something about their family past. And I yeah. think it it showed your value for kind of like your experience, everyone's experience, and that we are all in this together. Yeah. And I think this is a movie that really moved the needle on what's possible yeah. in computer animation. I think everyone that worked on this will be super proud of it. Yeah. Um, and so we, we all thank you, yeah. Pete, for, for leading us through this. We've never done a movie that this had this many effects in it. There were a lot of first time things that we did in this film and the, the production of the show like i just we give a really amazing shout out to denise reem and the production team of helping us figure out how to even get all this done like it like every door in terms of a technology issue was connected to i don't think we can get that done i don't know how to do this and uh, um i don't know how they did it but the planning to get us here um, uh, it was just incredible. It was just really wild. So thank you, Denise. Thank you, Chrissy and, and Jesus and Sanjay. Obviously, you were part of that, but uh, it was just so Well, difficult. now we know how to make it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll just use AI and just <laughs> push a button and prompt it. I think the thing I would like to say is I, just to thank Pete for having such an imaginative, interesting idea. And it's an idea and a project that technical artists like myself you know gravitate towards and want that opportunity to do something that's super hard that's why we're at pixar right to have a challenge like that and how interested you were in our work but also the visuals was a gift because you have all these technical artists who are you know want to work on a project that's hard pushing them and then somebody who's really like cares about it 
cares about the work and wants to, you know, really get their imaginative ideas on the screen and having to communicate and that dialogue is, you know, one of the most interesting things about working at Pixar. So that felt like a gift to, to be a, a part of. Yeah, and uh, thank you, Sanjay. The, a thing that I really also appreciate was you and I shared a lot of first-generation, second-generation stories in the making of this because you were always there. You were, you were a confidant in terms of, like, authentic experiences, both positive and negative, of being a minority in a world where, you know, or a foreigner or whatever, all those, you know, the these places that we have been, it was just really, I'm really grateful of all, all that that you had shared when, you know, you know, there were dark places in the production of this thing and understanding where the North Star is and, and talking to you about those things was really, really grateful for. I think it's it's always bittersweet coming to the end of a project. You know, Animir spend a year, 18 months plus, um, getting to know these characters, you know, putting pieces of their own lives into these characters. We, we really know them so deeply that it's kind of hard to say goodbye to them at the end of a film. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we're just so grateful to you, Pete. Thank you so much. You were such a, a generous director with, with your time, with your connection to the team. I can kind of just echo Mike's thoughts here. That we just really appreciate the moment of, of working on this, this movie and telling the story together. Yeah, and I hadn't thought about it in that way until now. The idea we're saying goodbye to these characters, that is really sad. Because I've been feeling like it's sort of, it's not depression. I, I said this a couple days ago, because we are, this Friday will be our last digital dailies. And uh, this idea of like, there's a hole left. And I, w I just thought it was because the meetings were all done and that I didn't have meetings to go to anymore. I thought that was it. But I think you're right. I think it's, yeah, this child is now leaving to go to college, essentially. And so there's this feeling of, you know, um, I'm a goodbye. And, you know, as whoever's listening to this kind of a commentary, the idea that you're making films with characters that come from essentially our hearts and, and nothing, you know, like they're just, they're, they're created, that they become real during the making of it is the whole reason that I love animation. This is the reason why we're in here is that we've taken something, brought it to life, not only brought it to life, but have fallen in love with them or got to know them to a degree that you know how they will react to something. You'll know how what they would fall in love with or, or how they would, you know, laugh at something. And that's an incredible feat. Any animated film, any film in general where you're, you have audiences hopefully connecting to characters and settings and stories that, you know, you don't want the stories to be all formulaic and all the same thing you want to find diverse stories and but that they remain authentic to our human experience as a group of creatures on this earth that it's something like oh we will be gathering in this theater this temple of movies to share in our human experiences for this film in fun ways and emotional ways but but that idea of yeah, we are saying goodbye to these characters that we have shared that experience with, and hopefully when it goes out, um, um, people will continue to share in this feeling that we have. Hey, thanks for listening. You know, we love making this thing, uh, and, and we do it for you guys, and thank you.